people aren't not profitable just simply because they don't you know, have the right financial information. They have mindsets around their service offering, mindsets around pricing, mindsets around labor models, mindsets around expense models, all of which have to be transformed in order to get from where they are to where they want to go. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I have my brother from another mother, and Daniel Craig. Good to have you in the house, man. How man, you doing? Seems like I should just be on this podcast. I don't know how to say that, but man, it's good to be on with you. Yeah, it was meant to be, man. Well, here we are, and I'm really excited to catch up on a bunch of different stuff, but I just want to dive right in because I have kind of an agenda here. You know, You and I know each other really well. Yeah. And I'm reflecting back on what our relationship like was early on. We founded Profit Coach. And the first thing that we did, like most businesses, early on, you're kind of playing house. The business isn't real. There's no brick building. There's no big team of staff. You you're have a booth of, background. You have a booth background <laughs> and you have as fast as you can talk on the phone. And a credit card machine. <laughs> and that's what it felt like with me and you. I remember being on coaching calls early on where it felt like, man, can we tap dance enough to get through this call and really land the plane? And and here we are all this time later, you know, hundreds of coaching calls down the path, man. I just wanted to I did a rough calculation yesterday. I think it's been about 500 hours of coaching. 500 hours of coaching. Beautiful. And that's on top of, you know, work in the weeds, behind the scenes, in people's books. So I'd love to go back and just kind of reflect on what sticks out for you as some key learnings, having gone through that that coaching journey and, and what you've seen with clients now that really have truly progressed. Yeah. This is no longer about from, you know, okay advice to really good advice. We've seen material changes over multiple years. It's of, honestly incredible. Of clients having this climb. What sticks out for you, man, in your reflections? Yeah, I mean... It- one of the biggest things for me, and I think this speaks to the journey of the client as well, was when we started the coaching program, we thought we could throw up a dashboard at them, give them, you know, here's your current reality, here's your benchmark, go. And what we realized was there's a huge gap between understanding where you are and where you need to go and all of the mindset shifts that have to happen between those two points for change to occur. Mm. People aren't not profitable just simply because they don't, you know, have the right financial information. They have mindsets around their service offering, mindsets around pricing, mindsets around labor models, mindsets around expense models, all of which have to be transformed in order to get from where they are to where they want to go. So what that meant for us and for me as a coach was I had I realized that when I show up to a coaching call, it's it's about much more than just showing people current mm. reality mm. and making financial projections. Mm. It's about helping them think through what are the mindsets that are blocking them from getting to where they want to go. So uh, I think uh, that was the personal transformation that had to occur. And that's also the transformation that has to occur for our clients. I, I think about doctors a lot, Danny. I think about you go to the doctor. What are you paying for? Are you paying for the prescription? Prescriptions 
40, 50 bucks. It's the diagnosis. Yeah. The ability to suss out, to take a confused person and suss out what's really going on. That that feels like, to me, the skill that you're alluding to. Yeah. There. And not just the financial diagnosis. You're at 5% profitability because your labor efficiency is at 2.1 and your CAC is through mm-hmm. the roof. Mm-hmm. It's what are the mindsets behind the thought patterns, the thought patterns behind your pricing model, behind your marketing and growth model that are driving those results. And, and that, that, that's another level altogether been, been a significant journey for me. But I think also for our clients, um, I think of a conversation I had recently with, uh, Mike Taylor at Red Door Rents in Indianapolis. And, uh, he's been in the coaching program for coming up on two years now and, uh, doing a lot of great things, but struggling with growth. And um, part of that struggle, here's a mindset, is am I a property manager or am I a sales and marketing guru that happens to do property manager? Mm. How do you think of yourself? It's an Mm -hmm. an identity question. Mm. And so after being a part of the mastermind group for a number of months, after being part of the focus calls, hearing the stories, he got on a coaching call just a few months ago and he said, I got it. I've, 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 I've got the sales and marketing vision now, and I know what I'm going to do. I know how am I going to go about this. I'm bought in, not just to the strategies, but to the idea of embracing the personal transformation to become a sales and marketing expert. So mm. that's one example of the kind of mindset transformation that occurs. Yeah. And, you know, mindset is one of those squishy things that uh, in many, even for myself, I can be allergic at times to the idea that it's just as simple. Am I just going to think my way out of this problem? Sure. You're telling me I can just start thinking different thoughts and it will resolve itself. And it's yes and no at the same time. There's a lot of nuance in that. But when I think about some of the mindsets that have opened up or closed things down for me, and I think about identifying the mindset behind it, back to diagnosis. How do you navigate through that conversation to help somebody uncover and get to the point where they're in a position to have that aha. I was just um, thinking about this yesterday a, a little bit in more detail. And for, you know, ever since we've been going really since my first presentation at PM Grow, uh, we've talked about three steps to 3x profits. And they're number one, get clear. Number two, uh, define the target. Number three, stay on track. But there's some additional color there that came to me yesterday as I was thinking about this. And sort of the driver of clarity is honesty. Mm. And that is painful. And so when you talk about diagnosis, it's, it's being willing to eat a little humble pie and, and, and tell yourself things like, I, I have the team I deserve. Mm. You know, Leaders get the teams they deserve. I'll never forget the first coaching call. You and I both know what I'm about to say, where we get on the coaching call with this particular client. This is in our very first coaching call, but first call with this client. And uh, we're talking about his issues in the business and his horrible labor efficiency. And his answer to that dilemma was people are blankety blank. Well, there's a lack of honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the blame game. Not a lot of self-reflection. Not there. a lot of self-reflection there. But over the course of that engagement, that you know the situation, mm-hmm. but there's been a complete transformation. So to your point on diagnosis, number one, get clear. But the driver of clarity is honesty and humility to be able to say, all right, you know, I do have mindset issues potentially that mm-hmm. are driving this business. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, here's an issue. Maybe you lack focus as an entrepreneur. 
And the reason that you are not profitable is because you're trying to do five different things and you're doing none of them well. So I would say uh, clarity and humility and honesty to get clear and just to be willing to embrace the realities of the business. And and part of that looks like not making excuses. Here's another example. Um, you've got significant churn, churn, uh, churn issues, Mr. Property Manager. It's the market. How many... Times if you heard that at a if you were in my market if you were in know. my if you were in my market it's a hot sales market well it is what are you doing about it are you slowing down the heat are you having the recurring conversations with your clients to say you know what it's a hot sales market but we're not at the top or whatever your opinion is on the matter so it's it's honesty it's ownership it's humility and to to basically to admit you know what these are the realities of my business and and I'm more or less deserve them. I created them. Mm. So that's number one. Number two would be defining the target. This also takes a dose of, of humility. Um, but I would say the essence of, of this idea here is define the target and specifically around that. What we want our clients to do is really understand their why. Why are you in business? Are you in business to show up at an ARPM conference and tell people how many doors you manage? Mm -hmm. I think there's such power and freedom to be had from understanding, you know what, it isn't about the doors. It's about my why. And, you know, your why could come down to a variety of areas for a lot of us. What are some examples from clients? Yeah, it's entrepreneurial freedom. It's freedom of time. Okay, well, do you need a thousand doors to have freedom Mm -hmm. of time? Mm -hmm. No. Mm. Uh, Freedom of money. Do you need a thousand doors to have freedom of money? Actually not. I'll never forget the call. And you know the one I'm referring to where the, the, the operator comes in and says, I want to grow my business by three times. Yeah. I want to triple the size of my business. Yeah. So I can triple my profits. Right. And the operating profits at that time were around like 3%. Yeah. And I just remember thinking that is the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah. To triple the size of your business. And, and, and through that conversation, in this case, we had to give some hard news. Like you have, you don't have the capabilities for three X. It's delusional. It's delusional. And by the way, you don't need three X to achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. Fast forward. I was actually thinking of 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 this story uh, when I was talking about knowing your why. Uh, this particular client realized that what she was in this business for was a retirement program, mm-hmm. and so today. She has gotten clear on the things she's good at, which are optimizing labor efficiency, optimizing revenue. She's okay at growth. She's really good at at real estate sales. So she does a mm-hmm. fair bit of this on the side. Um, but she's been able to create a great customer experience that generates enough referrals to maintain modest growth in the business. Today, she's at about 200 units and she's making more money than many of the clients that I know in significantly higher door brackets. To be specific, she's, uh, after taking a market-based salary for her part-time work in the company, she's making over $200,000 a year in profit after, over uh, on 200 doors. What happened there? She got clear on her why, which is, I want a retirement program that uh, can generate some passive income for me. It doesn't need to be $500,000. Specifically, we set mm-hmm. a target mm-hmm. of $150,000. She didn't need a thousand doors to do that. She didn't need 600 doors mm-hmm. to do that. What she needed was modest growth and a stable uh, work situation with her team. And so she's been able to bring two high quality people to the team backed up with remote team members to drive a really solid self-managing team with a great labor efficiency 
And she's now in the process of working with the attorneys to do a 49% sellout to one of her key team members who now is going to be bought in to maintain this business and basically run this client's retirement plan. Um, or at least a part of this client's retirement plan. The point is she got clear on her why. So number one, you got to, you got to get clear on your current reality. Number two, define the target. And that really requires getting clear on your why. It could be, like we said, um, you know, entrepreneurial freedom of some kind. It could be, here's another one. What is your why? It could be some degree of understanding your personal gifts or areas where you want to grow, leveraging those God-given talents, and actually developing new skill sets as a human being. That could be a mm -hmm. why. So for some of our clients, that looks like it's not about a, a particular door target. It's about mastering business. It's about mastering sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. It's about uh, using business as an opportunity for personal growth. That's great. Um, here's another why this one just sort of has bombshelled me this year. And that is one reason to build a business. One reason to grow a, a significantly larger business is because you're building an investment vehicle and you're building a mechanism in which you can put cash in mm. and get significant return on investment. Now, if you have a 100 unit property management company, that company is of a certain size and it can only handle so much cash. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, diminishing returns. Yeah, the diminishing returns. So why grow? Why why does the size of your company matter? Well, not, it doesn't just matter because of bottom line proceeds, but it actually, the, the, the size of your investment vehicle, the size of your company actually determines how much cash you can feed into the business and how much returns you can get out. So that's another conversation we might get there. But the point is, those are some examples of whys. So number one, define the target or number one, get clear, be humble, be honest. Number two, define the target, know your why. And I'll just say one other thing, focus has been such a theme for our successful clients. The clients who aren't successful are just, mm. you know, squirrel. One day this, another day that. Mm. It's another location. It's a hub and spoke model. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 in, you know, it's another division. And I'm good with all of that. But let me ask you, is your mothership doing well today? Mm -hmm. Maybe you should get that set straight before you move on to the next thing. Blocking and tackling is not sexy, but it's, it's necessary. <laughs> yeah. You and I experience the same weird dichotomy that defines coaching and human performance in general, which is the people that ostensibly need it the least are the most invested. They show up. They spend the money, button share, they're paying attention. Yeah. And the folks that need the help the least, most, yeah. the most, a little more flaky, yeah. not always at the meeting, not always paying attention. It's a weird. And it's a, and, and, and concomitant with that is another level of expectation. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the first category of clients, they're like, give me one nugget and I'll run with it. I, I, and the other category is like, solve all my business problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, give me a half a nugget cryptically. I'll yeah. decrypt it and I will yeah, apply right, it. Yeah, right, right, right. You're absolutely right. And I think there's a lesson in that for us as we've grown as entrepreneurs and operators and having self-respect, respecting your own vision, not, I mean, just I'll say it bluntly, not prostituting yourself for the sake of something that you feel like that you have to have. Yeah. There really is leverage in calling your own shots. When I think about this transition around honesty, what comes to mind for me is the operator whose expectations for growth, for crazy growth, 10X mm -hmm. growth, come at the expense of what could have been possible and probable. 
Meaning I could have got a 50% return, a 60% return, but instead I got a negative 10% return because I was chasing a 300% return. Sure. What are your thoughts on what you see in terms of managing ambition while not sacrificing what's actually possible and within the scope of your means and your capabilities? I think you know the, the conversation mm -hmm. I'm alluding to here. Growth would be growth would be the classic area where there is so much money so wasted in the pursuit of growth that could have, if it had just not been spent, could have been pocketed as profit sure. in many cases. Well, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I really do think it again, it comes down to understanding your why. What is your purpose? If your purpose as a human being is to run a 10,000 unit management company and anything shy of that is going to, you know, then God bless, leave you in the dumps of despair, then you should probably go chase that. <laughs> now, you might want to just like, you know, think about that one for a day or two before yeah. you commit. But the point is, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be absolutely brutal. And you should probably, you know, be ready for that challenge. And you and 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 the the size of your why really needs to drive your level of commitment to that why, or maybe it's the other way around. But the point is, um, you know, if you're going after a big dream, you ha you better have a really big commitment to that why. So, uh, in terms of a, a smaller goal, I think. You know, it's really a matter of understanding what are the various priorities in my life. That's personally how I think about it is, you know, what can I do well in this area of my life and also do well in other areas of my life? Mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. it's, it's not business success at the expense of everything. It's right. at, at the expense of my relationship with my wife, my mm -hmm. kids, my church community. So you got to take your life as a holistic whole. Now, <clears throat> Are, are, is it possible to achieve things that you didn't dream of in ways that you didn't think were, was possible? Yeah, it is. But you better get, and this sort of leads me to my third point, you better get a, a team around you that's going to really help this vision go beyond you. And, and, and so I think it comes to a point of leverage. You know, if you're going to go for a big why, if you're going to go do go for something stretching, are you really working from a position of leverage, leveraging the right people mm, on the mm. team who are going to carry that vision uh, even if you're not there? Mm. What's visceral to me around the people front, Danny, is so many times going through this experience myself and seeing it for others, where you can conceptually tell me that I could delegate and it would be sure. great and I would get a good outcome and how different that is than watching the before and after of either in myself or in an operator, seeing them have the experience of just working with that next level of talent. Yeah. Every time you get to that next level of talent afterwards, it's like, duh, obviously it's right. just, you take it for granted. Right. And yet for the next level of talent, it's like, well, I just, I don't know if it's possible. I'm not sure if I should spend the money. Can, can I really delegate that, et cetera? Right. You feel me on that? hundred uh, percent. Um, and into that point, start small. You know, if you, if you, if you really want to understand leverage in business, Start by creating personal margin for change. I would say this is another another significant uh, area of learning for me is the people that hit benchmark profitability create margin for change. They're not chasing mm. owner tickets and tenant tickets. They've created margin for change. What's one of the best ways you can do that? Hire a rock star executive assistant to take that stuff off your plate and create that personal margin. Which approach. you've done. Her name is Sadie. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We love you, Sadie. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
and, and then that experience begins to multiply itself. I mean, that happened for me. I hired this admin, you know, she's no longer my executive assistant, which is sort of, yeah, she's graduated, she's graduated, which is sort of the bummer. Um, but you know, she's now taken our uh, hiring and HR process. And, you know, this earlier this year, we had the opportunity to hire another coach on the team. And, you know, that's been transformational. And, you know, our chief development officer, Tim Peters, that's, that's been transformational. But one of the learnings, and, and, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be judicious about this. And especially if any of my clients are, are, are listening, you know, you gotta run the numbers, you gotta run the forecast. Mm. But the, the saying that says top a player talent pays for itself mm-hmm. has shown itself to be true mm-hmm. multiple times. Amen. So to your point, um, how big is big enough? You know, how do you think about, you know, a big gain versus a medium gain? I think it's really uh, measured upon your commitment to personal change. Um, if you're going to go for uh, a 10x result, that's going to require a much higher degree of personal change mm-hmm. than 2x. 2x, you can pedal a little harder, use a few tips and tricks from NARPM. Um, and, and NARPM brings a lot of value to the table. Amen. So, but, but you can get 2x. But what about 10x? Uh, that's a different personal growth journey. It's a different level of focus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be honest, every day we, we have to look ourselves in the mirror as entrepreneurs and say, am I, am I habits and practices and thinking and mindsets really reflective of a 10x entrepreneur? Or let's face it, am I a 2x entrepreneur? You know what? And if you're a 2x entrepreneur, good for you. That's great. Whatever else you want to do in life, go do it and don't put yourself under the burden of a 10x result. Well, so the 10x entrepreneur reference, that is a reference from a Dan Sullivan concepts and thinking. I remember watching that video, sending it to you, watching it myself, watching it with you multiple You're times. You're like, here's some Kool-Aid, drink it, drink it fast. <laughs> More, I mean, Danny, yeah, that is kind of me. That, I, I do that frequently in yeah. my life. But I love that video. I think you told me it's no longer online. I, I found it again, so it's good. It's basically a <laughs> video it this week. of an entrepreneur articulating his shift in mindset from going, I'm winning when I'm making a lot of money and doing big things to instead saying, I'm winning when I'm doing less. I'm doing as little sure. as possible, delegating as much as possible. The 10X mindset that he articulates is fairly drastic and extreme if for no other reason than it requires you to actually get clear on what it's going to look like to get out of the way of the business and to start ha- stop having that dependence upon yourself. And that goes back to identity. Yeah. If I'm needed, I'm the man. Right. If the organization needs me, when something bad happens, they're calling me. There's a certain sense of uh, of duty and significance and helping people, which ostensibly is noble. But boy, in my experience, that also is just incredibly limiting. And it's, ena- it's an enablement function to continue to choose to work with people that are never capable of rising above the level that you need them to actually have the autonomy that you want. So- it's so interesting that you bring this up. I had a little bit of a, a personal crisis around this last week. Every we have about twenty, you know, four people on the team right now. Every t- uh, six months, we bring all the team in person for a retreat. And in the past, I'm like the guy, like you know, I facilitate the collaboration, I cast the vision, you know. I'm the guy. Well, we now have a very competent set of managers Mm -hmm. and ahead of this last retreat that we had last week, we basically said, all right, you guys are going to run the collaboration. 
And um, they did. It was amazing. And it felt fantastic until we got to the very last session and everybody shares their wins for the week. And one of the wins that we had people share was what unique ability did you notice on another team member? So it was really trying to, you know, get the team to understand the skill sets that are on the team and, and, and learn how to leverage those skill sets. It was great, but I almost didn't get mentioned. <laughs> I got one ref, one mention at the end by my assistant who I think was trying to save face for me because I just didn't get mentioned at all. Wow. And I walked away from that feeling a little bit like that stung a little bit. What a reflection. But then I was like, wait, that's good. <laughs> this is the point. This, this is, is how it's point. supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to I work. I heard, I think it was Sun Tzu that said something effective that great leadership, in a great leadership scenario, people walk away and they say, we did it ourselves. Yeah. Not, but not for Daniel, not for Jordan. We couldn't have <laughs> They say, no, we, we, we did it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. It's a force multiplier, man. <sighs> well, here's what I'd love to pivot into. There's a lot of conversation around M&A, yeah. acquisition, yeah. disruption. It's interesting. Which I've been hearing ever since I've been in this industry, yeah, by the way. So. Undoubtedly. <laughs> and, and I'm sure if we were in another industry, we'd be hearing it there as well. But you and I have a, a somewhat unique position in the sense that we participate with clients that are evaluating and we participate at a pretty high level of fidelity. Yeah. And, and and you even more so, you're more in depth in those conversations than I am. Sometimes I have a more shallow depth of conversation that's like, generally speaking, here are the considerations. On the left hand, we have this. On the right hand, we have that. A lot of the conversations that you're having are much higher fidelity. Like, here's the spreadsheet. Here's your margin. Here's the multiple. If you take the money, here's what you would have to do with it to be able to get a competitive return as sure. opposed to what you're doing with it. What are you seeing and how are you how are you thinking about these conversations based on the conversations you're having with folks that are fielding acquisition offers? And then we can go to the flip side. So people who are considering selling. Correct. Yeah. So this is uh, an interesting conversation because I've been working with people for, you know, four years in this industry, and it's interesting to see what they've accomplished and interesting to see them work through the dilemma of, you know, to sell or not to sell. So I was reflecting on this a little bit, and uh, I would say here's a list of some practical considerations around things to think about if you're considering selling. Number one would be uh, only sell when you don't have to. What do I mean by that? If you have to sell because you're in a position of burnout and you're you under just, duress, you just can't do it anymore. That's fine. Okay. But you're going to get a big discount. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is sort of like, if you're wanting to sell from a position of strength and get the maximum return on investment and in what you put into your business, number one, only sell when you don't have to. Because when you have to, not only does it drive the negotiation the wrong direction, because your business probably isn't healthy, to be honest, if mm -hmm. you feel like you have mm -hmm. to sell. But number two, you're not in a good mindset for negotiating. You're, you're, you're negotiating from a position of desperation. And that's a horrible place to negotiate from. You know, I'm so conflicted about this one, Danny, because I feel like, and this is something I've told people, is that the best reason to sell is if you don't want to do this any longer. If you're retiring, you have cancer, that is a non-financial reason. 
and and given that the financial reasons generally don't favor selling a profitable business, it's actually one of the better reasons. If you're not in that situation, it's a much murkier financial position. So so how how would you kind of reconcile sure, sure, that sure. thought? Yeah. Well, that sort of gets to my second point is uh, only sell once you've achieved your why. Okay. So, you know, if, if you've run the course of this business and you're at a point where you're like, you know what, I've got other whys in other areas of my life that sort of are, you know, more important, higher priority than what I was pursuing in this business. So maybe it's not necessarily achieving it, but don't don't compromise your why unless you have a greater why that's you know taking precedence over that. The point I was trying to make with the first uh, item is only sell when you don't have to. Is I, I'm speaking from a position of financial integrity mm-hmm. and whether or not you're getting maximum return on Amen. your investment. So that's the point there. But surely, if you're in a position where you're burnt out and you know you're hurting your family and whatever you're hurting your health and this and there's just not a way out. <clears throat> Then okay, consider it. But but I'd have to, I'd have to ask a question, which is, why did you get into business in the first place? And I think that's really worth some reflection, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, um, you had a vision. And my question for you, if you're about ready to pull the trigger and sell the business in the midst of burnout and exhaustion, mm. have you lost the vision? Mm. Do you need to reclarify what that vision is? Do you need to? Get some juice again on the freedom of time, the freedom of finance, the freedom of purpose, the freedom of relationship. That was the whole reason that you went into business in the first place. And to be honest, Jordan, I think you and I and all of us as entrepreneurs have to have this conversation every week, if not every day. Mm-hmm. Why, I'm in, why am I in business? In those tough days, you, you have to get clear on that why. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just sort of hesitate to say that selling in a state of burnout without a conscientious clear decision that says well said i have recognized that this business has served its purpose and run its course and i'm making a very calculated values-based decision mm-hmm. around this sell mm-hmm. anything outside of that i don't know i'm not sure if i'm on board with that <laughs> uh, well well said man yeah i totally received that i think that's some really good pushback and i think the question to ask is is it the business that's the problem or is it a set of problems that will follow you after the business is gone 100 it's kind of like in relationships right is, yeah. it, is it the other person or is it is it me and the way i'm relating to sure. the thing and i think that you make a good point that oftentimes what burnout represents is a set of emotional relationships with a a set of problems that are solvable and clearly for so, the person that they're, they're clearly solvable because somebody else is taking over the business sure and what are they planning are they planning on taking over your dysfunction yeah. no they're planning on on fixing it and making it better right what about the way that you're relating to it is the specific thing that needs to get shifted to make it something that you would actually want to run? Because we have clients that are have a great life and are not they're not killing themselves. Right, right. So I'm going to foray into an area that may be more or less risky, but you can edit this out of the podcast show if you want. Hit it. I'm in my 30s, so perhaps my perspective is somewhat suspect. But I have to ask you, are you letting an identity around age drive mm. your decision to sell. Interesting. Because we live in an age in which a retirement philosophy says you should be able to retire somewhere in your mm-hmm. 60s. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of times what goes with that is a mindset that says, I can stop changing and innovating and growing mm -hmm. as a human being mm -hmm. in my 60s. And so what you may be up against is a clash of mindsets. Are you on a path of lifetime growth in which you're going to keep producing and you're going to keep changing and you're going to keep growing and you're going to keep learning mm. as a human being? Mm. And that's, that's, that's one path. Mm -hmm. Or are, are you at a point where you're looking at everybody in their 60s that you're your friends and they're like, I'm done. And, and I'm not really saying one is right or the other. I think I have a preference to the former. But I know clients that are in their 70s and they're crushing it. Why? Because they've embraced the opportunity to continue to grow and to continue to change. Bryn here from Lead Simple. I love Lead Simple, but that feels like a given. Instead of telling you why I love it, here's Sarah Hatch from Hatch Property Management. We're very happy and I recommend so many people to Lead Simple because I'm like, oh my gosh, it changed our world. <laughs> it totally changed our whole way of uh, managing properties and staying in contact. It's the best business investment I've ever made. To learn more and connect with one of my teammates, go to leadsimple.com slash podcast today. I can think of some people that come to mind here. This is a random name, but Lyle Haas is a name that comes to mind of somebody that's just continually wanting to stay on the edge. That edge of learning is something that's been so stimulating to me in my career. I've experienced part of that with you. My, my background is first in lead gen and then in software and then getting into finance and accounting with you. It was one of those new learning curves. And I remember one specific conversation being told something along the lines of, well, you guys don't know how to how to do that. <laughs> I just think I'm thinking. I'm so glad you said that. Just wait. You know, give, give me give me 18 months. Give me 12 months. You and I have um, had a number of learning curves. I think the example was trust accounting <laughs> specifically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which in re which now in retrospect is, is hilarious. But I think about that with the NARPM accounting standard. That was the original thing that we cut our teeth on, which is a huge learning curve, several thousand hours of effort. And that's been in the wild now. I mean, now we're at the point where there's reflections and conversations about going that, go going back, updating that, et cetera. But enough time has passed to get clear on the validity and the utility of that idea. What are you seeing out in the wild with client adoption and the difference in the impact that it's making? Because the, the, the NARPM accounting standard conversions that Profit Coach does outstrips coaching probably by a, a factor of three or four, yeah, right? Yeah, that's about At this right. point, 100 plus conversions, yeah. fair to say. Yep. What, what are you seeing? What are your reflections there? Good question. Well, <clears throat> I think one of the big reflections is that there is a lot of surprise in many cases when people see their numbers post-conversion. Um, there's just a high degree of like, I don't entirely know what to expect. Uh, we just had a client recently who was uh, so concerned about making sure that they looked good on the results of our diagnosis that they were trying to talk our conversion team into moving <laughs> operating expenses below the line, <laughs> which of course we did not do. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, what are my numbers? And yeah. which just speaks to people don't know. And that's not true across the board, but there's a healthy segment of that. 
Um, but I will tell you the comment that I probably get more than that is, you know, when I show people the numbers, you know, I ask them, what did you expect? And they're like, yeah, this is about what I expected. But you know that they are just gut feeling it, right? Sure. And so I would say back to where we started, um, you know, the reality is that the DARPA accounting standards <clears throat> bring a significant amount of clarity that people just wouldn't otherwise have. Mm -hmm. And they uh, don't even necessarily know the numbers that should be measured. Um, and, and so we give that to them and we give them a view of, of financial management that I think is new for a lot of people because a lot of us are, are, are making our journey from uh, practitioners to entrepreneurs in the middle of running a business. Absolutely. From being a property management, a property manager to being a property management entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so um, to answer your question, what am I seeing out in the wild? I think we're giving people a financial model that they just didn't have before and a financial rubric. Um, we're also giving people a clear sense of priority through this mechanism. What is the most important thing you could do to change your business today? What's the lever if you put your hand on it and you pull it back? Right. Yeah, but but for those listening, ask yourself that question. What's the most important thing you need to do to move your business forward today? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Are you operating with that kind of clarity? Now, to be honest, you know, it's one thing to have that clarity at a high level and then you have all these tactics down below and, and it certainly it takes time to prioritize and understand the focus that you need to be pursuing. But at the end of the day, the numbers give you that priority uh, to a large extent. And so I think to answer your question, we're seeing a lot of uh, focus around what are the biggest drivers that need to occur and or the biggest changes that need to occur in my business to drive profitability. I'll give you a, a big one. When we do an analysis for clients, very commonly, I would say in the majority of cases, the number one thing people can do to transform their business is retool their pricing. Did they know that before then? They probably had a sense of that. They probably heard about <clears throat> a random set of fees at a at a property management event that they could start charging, mm -hmm. but they lacked mm -hmm. the conviction around that. The contextualization. <clears throat> the contextualization and the conviction that says, if I do these five fees- Here's my upside. Here's my upside. And so, you know, when I have conversations with people, at the conversion process where we're looking through their numbers and we're talking about the opportunities, I tell them about five or six or seven fees that aren't in their business, perhaps most of that they're not currently charging, perhaps most of which they've already heard about, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But what I come to them with is this is why you're only at 5% profitability. It's because you have a gap in your revenue per unit. And if you implement these fees and get your revenue per unit to benchmark targets, then you're going to not only get to 25% profitability, but you're going to add another $100,000 of profit to the bottom line every mm -hmm. year. Now that's clarity. <laughs> that's motivation to take action. So um, what are we seeing in terms of the impact? It's clarity on current reality and it's clarity on priorities to make the transition in their business that they want to make. Well, let's talk about the labor side, just the cost structure in general. That's a part of this. What are you seeing in terms of clarity on that side, in terms of the references and the, the context that people are able to gain about where they're at now and where they could be? What are the cost categories that are most commonly dramatically out of whack when things are out of whack on the expense side of things? 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, we, we really look at uh, three dimensions of your, your cost structure. It would be uh, labor, growth, and just general overhead. All three of those <laughs> could be easily out of whack. And I've seen scenarios in which uh, any one or all three of them are significantly out of whack. Um, in terms of priority, the easiest place to start is just meals and entertainment, Disneyland, and... and nanny. <laughs> nanny, right. <laughs> and and some of you are thinking, well, wait, no, I, I run that stuff through my business for... Tax efficiency. Tax efficiency. And okay, but I have to ask you, what is the cost of that financial fog? Mm. Mm. That may be a strategic thing to do, yeah. but have you measured the cost of not having a true financial clarity? And here's the thing. Do you really want to be spending all of that money like that? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm working with a business right now and they could say that the fact that they spent $88,000 in travel in the last three months is just a reflection of, you know, well, we run stuff through the business Eh, you don't have a budget. It's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of discipline. You don't have targets and you know, what what are you telling your team? I mean, maybe your team doesn't have a credit card, but what what kind of habits are you portraying to your team around cost efficiency by the way you spend money on the business? So I would say the easiest place to start is just cut the fluff and run a tight ship. Um, understand that your facilities and other operating expenses you know need to be in a certain benchmark range, which is you know eighteen percent of revenue combined, and um, you know, if you have a hard time with that, then set some budgets. You know, here's what we can afford to spend on meals and entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, the problem with just saying I'm running this stuff through my business is it 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 throws uh, fog and a lack of clarity into your pursuit of a goal. What is your goal? Are you committed to hitting 25% profitability because you think you can? Well, then do it and get there and do what you need to do in the business model to hit that target. If you're just saying, well, I don't hit 25% uh, profitability because I run all this stuff through my business. Right. That is so lame sauce and, <laughs> and, and sort of debilitating to your courage to make the necessary changes in your business that you need to make to achieve your goals. Yeah. It's a really negative cycle. You're not getting the upside of, of getting the reward of, of, that kind of dopamine pleasure hit of getting the profits that encourages more profits, et cetera. When I think about the lack of financial clarity, and you you made a comment about a half hour ago about another client pulling 200K out of the business off of around 200 doors. It's just so important to emphasize that that is after a, a market-based salary. Sure. Yeah. So that is true, pure, actual, proper cream. Yeah. Now, to be honest, we she's only working half-time. So she's taking a half-time salary, right. which is fair. It's pro rata yeah. on, on a yeah. half-time basis. I think about another client who has a recurring business expense that is you know, borderline useless in our mutual estimation and experience. And how in that, I, I'm thinking about a conversation you had with that individual where the logic and the rationale was, I know I have this expense. It's an investment. And obviously, we just don't happen to agree with that specific investment. But the very sloppy overall story and narrative was like, well, the business isn't profitable because I'm making this investment. Right. The reality was what you did was back out the investment. I said, okay, well, it still isn't working. Let's look at the profitability without the investment. <laughs> it still is, but which they could have done 
But it's this holistic experience of like once you give yourself permission to not be running a tight ship, it really bleeds over into yeah. all, all aspects of your thinking about the business. Uh, 100%. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to be overly dogmatic. Are there ways to parse these things out? Yes. But, but you need to have a clean, clear financial model that you can, in which you Mm -hmm. can achieve success. Yeah. So the upside, this journey, this story arc, which is the most rewarding aspect of it to me, it's easy to dunk on folks that are doing it wrong. Boy, do we want to pay homage to the folks that are doing it right. And to see that trajectory, we reorganized the mastermind groups within Profit Coach to be organized based on net operating income, which had a dramatic impact. In just property management. (laughs) In just property management, exactly. And it, it really catered to the entrepreneurial mindset, that competitive nature. And seeing folks progress up that ladder is incredibly rewarding. What for you are some reflections you have in seeing folks kind of hit some of those big picture goals? You mentioned the one client that we previously referenced without using names. Any other reflections on the reward of the experience for you of seeing folks kind of progress along that journey and and hit their long-term goals? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's sort of a weird thrill but it's one that I enjoy. And that is getting on to a client call, looking at their dashboard and seeing a profitability chart that's going from zero to 25%. Mm. And- Or a negative number to a positive number. A negative number to a positive number, exactly. But obviously it's fun to look at that chart and, and to see the progress that they've made. But I think it's a lot more fun to consider what that progress means to them mm-hmm. personally. And um, everybody has a variety of things that they do in life. And then that, that freedom of time and finances expresses itself in different ways for people. Um, but I think the thing that has been rewarding is to see that a lot of our clients are still in the game, even after they hit the benchmarks mm-hmm. and they don't stop learning. They're still going. They're still going. And I would say to you, uh, make sure that, as you think about your business, that you have a why that once that's, that's, big, th- enough. that's big enough, right? Um, because there is this reality for certain people where they hit <clears throat> a goal and they hit a certain level of success and they're just lost in life. So you got to make sure, you know, that that doesn't happen, that your why is big enough. But I think of clients who have mastered one aspect of business, and this is the approach to diversity that I appreciate, which is master one you know, and move on to the next. And so they're doing really well in property management. And and now they're moving on to, you know, um, building their own, you know, build to rent portfolios. Mm -hmm. Um, So significant adjacent opportunities. But even still, um, they're not losing focus on continuing to tweak and retool their own business. You know, I had an interesting conversation with the client the other day who I thought was sort of at the top of it, the game when it came to sales and marketing. And upon further reflection with this client, you know, he was identifying significant gaps in their sales and marketing structure that he was, you know, working on solving. And so even uh, those who are successful, you have to ask yourself, is there still opportunity in, in mm. our business to mm. retool things, to tweak things, to develop a new level of mastery in the organization? And man, business and, and the changing world in which we live just, I think, continues to provide those opportunities. So it's neat to see clients continue to brace that journey of growth 
uh, doing new things and in new industries mm-hmm. or adjacencies, but also staying in the game and finding new ways to add value, create value in their existing organizations. Well, we're an odd breed as entrepreneurs, constantly hitting new goals and benchmarks and still unsatisfied and looking for the new thing, something to maintain an edge. I'm curious, as you reflect back on your own journey as an entrepreneur, what has it meant to you personally? You and I have been in the trenches. I've seen a ton of growth in myself, and I know Mm -hmm. you've experienced that in yourself as well. So the business lessons learned are interesting and useful. But when you think about how it's holistically impacted you as a human, what has it meant for you in the totality of your life beyond just making a buck? Sure. Well, when I got started with this business, um, I sort of had a meaning 1.0 that I think about. And that was, I want to do cool things in life. I want to have some free cash flow to fund those cool things. And I think a business can get me that. And that's great. And I think that's where a lot of us start. We read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you know that's where we start. <clears throat> and so that was sort of meaning 1.0. Um, only trouble was that meeting 1.0 did not occur in the time frame or in the manner in which it was supposed to occur. And so, um, while I still believe in meeting 1.0 and that is, you know, freedom of time and money, um, you know, I've graduated I, or I did graduate to meaning 2.0, which was even if I don't achieve those things in quite the time and manner in which I thought, boy, am I going through a massive personal transformation. Mm, and mm, and that mm, is mm. really, really rewarding. And so, you know, it's a transformation of habits, of thinking, of, of faith, you know, of, of you know, just uh, change of bad habits of organization and delegation and whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, that has been rewarding. But what I've realized is that the most rewarding thing, or at least meaning 3.0 for me, is now seeing and facilitating that change in other people. Mm. And uh, we just came off, like I said, our our week-long retreat, and I got to see that in full color Mm -hmm. uh, where we have a team of managers that are stepping up. We hired them at entry level as entry level accountants. Mm. And now they're managing the company, leading the team conversations. And uh, here was the cool, here was the coolest thing. As entrepreneurs, we drink this Kool-Aid and we walk around with the Kool-Aid mustaches and we hope that the people on our team sort of see it and catch on. And what I realized was that after, you know, three years of drinking the Kool-Aid and and trying to feed the Kool-Aid to other people, there were other people that were now feeding the Kool-Aid. Now serving it. Now serving it. And, 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 and that was the most thrilling experience. They were talking about our core values. They were talking about our customer experience. Mm. They were, uh, bringing things to the table that I hadn't even thought of. And that's cool from a business experience, but what it represented to me was a transformation of leadership in these people. And um, that's tremendously rewarding. And people walked away from the retreat realizing that this is a different kind of company. And our vision of helping people become and achieve more than they thought possible is is what drives me. Mm-hmm. And it is incredibly thrilling. So uh, what's been my journey as an entrepreneur? Yes, it's about entrepreneurial freedom. I believe in that. Yes, it's about personal transformation. 
Uh, but now I'm, I'm getting so much joy out mm. of seeing other people grow and become. And uh, I believe that's you know, what God has called me to do and using my gifts to help other people maximize th- their gifts. Man, I'm just basking in that. That, is a, that was a beautiful reflection. Thank you. And if you believe it long enough, it becomes true. Yeah. That's a big part of my experience yeah. in business. I've heard somebody call it holding the pose. If you can hold it long enough to get past using it as a tactic, you sure. know, to try and get people to buy into the vision. So they do these things you can make money. If you can just really get to that point of what you articulated of, of really caring mm-hmm. and wanting to help people and having that intention felt mm-hmm. and then flow from them into others. Mm-hmm. That's what I've experienced can get someone to the point and has gotten to me to the point where I think, I think I just might do this for free. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's yeah. so much bigger than, than the money. And I, I couldn't agree more with that reflection, man. Cause when it's just about the money and it doesn't happen in the time and in the way that you expected, you feel like a loser mm-hmm. and a failure. And that's really, really heavy. And to free yourself from that and just to say, Hey, this is f- for many of us, for myself. And I believe for you too, this is a calling. Mm-hmm. There's some real freedom in that. hundred percent. And I want to, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for, for being that instrument in a lot of people's lives. And uh, you were certainly that in my life. I remember one of the first times we ta- spoke at, at some convention, it wasn't in this industry, uh, you took an opportunity to ask me some questions and, and you followed up with, you know, some books. And that was sort of the starting point. And I think it was like five or six or seven or maybe eight years later before we finally went into business together. But um, uh, you've been that source of vision and um, just, well, maybe a little bit of making me unsettled with the status quo that I needed. So thank you for being that uh, vehicle in my life. Man, it's a pleasure and a joy. And thank you for, for taking all that and passing it on to other people. So the cycle just continues. That's, That's right. part of uh, the beauty of doing this whole thing. Well, brother, I appreciate everything you're up to. You know that eyes are on you to eventually expand and maybe go back and, and take another crack at We're the- working on it. Take, take another crack at either the NARPM accounting standards, yep. P, there's, there's demand in the market for more data, more benchmarks. How, how long ago was that that, that the NAS came out? NAS came 20, out in 2019. 2019. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's so much shift in the market, trends. We talk about these things. It's exciting. It fuels podcasts. But at the same time, I'm, uh, you know, I just, I'm going to put the bat signal out there in the air and say, I'm excited to at some point here in the, the mid near future, be able to get back in the trenches with you and do some of that work because it's incredibly valuable. And you were the only guy that I felt like could have been in that room with me when we had that conversation <laughs> and the conversation was something like, Hey, Danny, we could do this thing. It'd be really cool. Would, like that's my typical wind up and nine out of 10 times that fails every, you know, every once in a while though, you have somebody that's like, yeah, we should do that. Don't know how, don't know, don't know when, you know, not sure on the details of let's do it. That's part of the joy I've experienced with you is being willing to take the leap and play ball with the partner, man. That's 100%. what a great partnership looks like, you know? Yeah. You throw, they catch, and, and back and forth. So thanks for being a great it's, partner. It's, it's coming. It's in progress. So, All right, my man. Well, until next time, leave it there. Thanks so much. 